Welcome to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of me, Rick Lee James. I'm a recording artist, a singer, songwriter, an author, a worship leader, and an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene. The Voices in My Head podcast is your source for discussions on music, literature, movies, pop culture, theology, and more. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the latest episode of the Voices in My Head podcast. And don't forget to let the voices in your head be heard by following me on Twitter at Rick Lee James and sharing your thoughts about today's show. All right. Well, welcome back to the Voices in My Head podcast. For those of you that are not present here in Indianapolis, we are at Indianapolis General Assembly today, and we are about to do a forum called Small, Medium, Large, dealing with worship in churches that are small, medium, and large. And Brandon Hancock is going to moderate the forum today, but I wanted to give this intro uh, for the podcast. So um, today, the uh, Brandon, I'll just let you take off from there. They have the context now, so they know what they're listening to. Yeah. Will they be able to hear me okay if I'm talking like this? Yeah, they can hear you. Yeah, I'm, if you don't mind, I'll just so set that right that in the middle. Okay. You use that mic for the room. Right. All right, does that work? Yep. And, uh, Do Andrew and I share this no, one? No, Andrew and I will share this one. Okay. Because yeah, I think that's. I leads. can always scream too. Or she can just grab whichever yeah. one works. Okay. And welcome on the video as well. Yes. Yeah? Thanks for coming, you guys. Uh, I'm Brandon, and uh, some of you are. Brandon Hancock for the Brandon listeners. Hancock. Yeah. Brandon, thank you. Um, Brandon Hancock, and I teach uh, worship and practical theology at uh, Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University, uh, about 90 minutes northeast of here. And uh, I lead worship at my church in Marion. Uh, I'm in a college town of uh, dominated by Wesleyans, and I don't know if you know much about Wesleyans, but they're pretty kind of redundant to Nazarenes. Like we pretty much believe the same things and worship in largely the same way. And so, by and large, when you have a lot of Nazarenes, you don't have a lot of Wesleyans in different parts of the country. So I grew up in Nashville, and there's Tribeca, and there's tons of Nazarenes. There's like hardly any Wesleyan churches. Now I'm in a Wesleyan college town, and there's hardly any Nazarenes. Even though our district office and our district campgrounds are there, Sherry, you know, <laughs> Sherry's from my district. And, um, and so uh, we're just pretty much one little Nazarene church in Marion that runs about 120, and I'm volunteer worship pastor on staff, and so I plan the music each week. And my wife, uh, who was singing over next to Andrea during our opening, um, she sings with me, and we have a small group of musicians and a few singers. And we'll talk more about that later, uh, but that's just a little bit about me. This is my friend Andrea. I'll let her introduce herself. Hey. All right. Well, yes, I'm Andrea Garcia, and I'm the worship pastor at Nashville First Church of the Nazarene. And I'd actually like to know a little bit about you guys as well. Um, how many of you are, you know, worship leaders, worship pastors in your own context at churches? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then um, I'm going to guess some other pastors and, Senior you pastors. know, leaders and, okay. Yeah, yeah, com- yeah. yeah, musicians who yeah, yeah, yeah. play. I'm just, you know, it just is interesting just to see what all the different perspectives that we come from. Um, but so we're, we're kind of introducing ourselves right now, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, so I grew up in Florida in uh, a lot of, um, a lot of, I think, oh, actually, my dad's here. And, and uh, my dad is a Nazarene pastor in Plant City, Florida. And, Yes, there's my mom. She was Hi. smiling like a mother. I was wondering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I went to uh, Nashville to get a degree in worship arts at um, Trevecca Nazarene University, and then it just ended up staying there. So I really enjoy Nashville, um, and uh, looking forward to talking with you guys. Great. So we're all three Trevecca people too. How about yeah, that? Yeah, sorry. It's, it's uh, dear old T and you. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, I am Rick Lee James. I have to use my middle name because if you look up Rick James online, you'll get a guy with dreadlocks who is a different color and he's not alive anymore. So, um, but I'm Rick Lee James. I have been music pastor at my church in Springfield, Ohio, First Church of the Nazarene, for close to 16 years now. Um, I, I am part-time because I have a ministry where I travel a lot. I write with Lifeway Worship out of Nashville. And actually, there's some of my music on the seats here, which you're welcome to have. Lifeway gave complimentary copies of, of one of my songs. 
um, that's off of my album, Hymns, Prayers, and Invitations. So I'll just do a quick shameless plug for that. This is an album that I've done with Lifeway Worship. And um, if you enjoy songs that are sort of in the vein of modern hymns or some that are um, hymn adaptations and things like that, I do a lot of writing uh, for the congregation in that vein. Uh, I brought some business cards, so if, if you have any questions or anything that we, I can be any help of, of resourcing, I'm happy to do that. Um, but yeah, my website is rickleejames.com, so if you go there, you can read more about me, I guess. But, Did you talk yeah. about your church contacts? The church that I'm in, yes, that's why we're here, duh. Um, <laughs> the church is a, a medium-sized church. We run 300 on the high holy days, like Easter and Mother's Day. And, um, you know, the th- things like that. Um, on normal days, you know, we're a little bit less than that. But, you know, over the church, we've, we've grown from, you know, around 100 people, I think, over in that 16-year time. I think something like that. So I think we're considered somewhat medium in the Church of the Nazarene. Mm-hmm. Um, we have kind of gone from a church with a lot of division and, you know, a, a predominantly older congregation to a congregation that, that has a good mix of people of all different ages. Um, we're working on uh, it being a church that is, is, is different racially, too, but at this point we're a lot of white people, and uh, we're, we're, we are more working on that, and we are seeing uh, more diversity happening, which is a good thing. Um, but I want to see it happen more and more. And so that's, again, one of the struggles that I think a medium-sized church sometimes is coming from, it, trying to adapt its identity. Um, but it's it's been a good church to be at, and I've been there a long time, and it's helped me yeah. be a part of it. So, yeah. Yeah, ahead. I feel like I should probably say something about my church, too, then. Um, so, so Nashville First Church is actually um, one of the oldest Nazarene churches. Like, predates the, yeah. doesn't it? It predates the actual church of Nazarene as it was organized. Um I think, who is it, Phineas Brzee and, um, you know, some of these stalwarts that we talk about for our Nazarene heritage. Um, actually, yes. J.O. McClure. Yes, J.O. McClure, thank you. Um, were were uh, responsible for the very origins of my church. So it has a lot of history um, and a, a lot of tradition and um, uh, a lot of, sometimes, you know, the older churches, it mm-hmm. can have a little more baggage, too. And I'm sure you guys can understand some of that. Um, so it's a it's considered a church over a thousand. Um, but I will add a caveat to that: um, we don't have a thousand people in one service. Mm-hmm. So um, we, we're actually broken up into several different services um, that are very unique and diverse. We've got um, kind of our more traditional, long long standing service. That's probably the largest one. Of around 500, and then we've got uh, what we consider the contemporary service, and I lead both of those. And then we also have a, a congregation with our homeless folks, um, a con- that we call Emmaus community that worships together every Sunday night. There's a, a Haitian congregation that worships in Creole, and there's an African refugee congregation that started the last couple years. Um, because of the the huge uh, refugee movement that's been impacting all of us across the news, but also especially in our context in Nashville, um, and they worship in uh, Swahili hmm. and French. Wow. So, awesome. All that said. Yeah. yeah. So so, I I kind of I guess I'm responsible for pulling this panel together uh, uh, in our organizational meetings, and I thought you know it just would be cool to get three different perspectives from three different types of congregations, different geographical locations. Like, I'm in a real small town, like 25,000. Um, I guess that's not a real small town. Some of you are probably in smaller towns than that. But it's, it's a very small town feel. Um, Andrew's in a big city in Nashville, and uh, and Rick's in a kind of medium-sized town, but that has, you know, it's pretty close to Dayton and yeah. other, you know, it's a metropolitan area. I'm kind of an hour from anything, you know, in Marion, uh, from a, you know, a Target. <laughs> 40 minutes to target. Um, but I was just thinking about how, you know, who's going to gather for this event and who, um, and wanting it to be encouraging and helpful and what are the kind of things that we can talk about together? Um, what are the common struggles? Not like in the sense of ordinary day-to-day, but like that unite us that we have in common. What are the struggles that we have in common? And what are the, the joys and benefits that we have? in common in the context that we lead in. And so um, 
you know, before we move any further, I'm just curious. I'm going to do the thing, and I, you know, just because it's helpful to us. But I hate the way that you know this tendency that we have to sort of almost feel like we're sizing each other up by trying to figure out what size churches we're at. You know, so I have to stop myself as a pastor sometimes when you know I meet a new pastor and they tell me where they're at, and to of like the second thing I say, being like, "What size church is that?" Oh, no, no, like why? Why do we act like that matters? But sometimes it does matter, and you really, you know, when we're talking about this, it's helpful to know. Uh, who we're talking to. And so is anyone in the room at a church that's like Andrea's size, like a thousand people? Okay. Uh, is anybody, are you? Okay. That's my well, husband. Oh, that's your husband. Right. I, I told her, I was like, I'm not sure I would recognize him. But we're Facebook friends. And, uh, so, yeah. um, and we have what? one over there. Another one? Thousand-ish? Yeah. Okay. Um, and then how many would their churches would be like anybody between 500 and a thousand? In that space. Okay, so one. And so now let's do this. Like under 500. Under 500? Everybody? All right, then put your hand down when I, when, when, <laughs> when, uh, when I go, you know. So if you're between four, four and 500. So under 400. Under 300. Under 200. Okay, under 100. All right, so still like, because I have to put my hand down then. So that means still like, and under 50. Under 25. Okay. <laughs> under 15 okay yeah <laughs> 15 yeah. so we go 15 to 1000 plus in the room right now and like and we're um, two or more are gathered yeah, amen that's, that's true <laughs> right. right yeah two or more um your district might want to shut you down that too you can find but um but and a, about a quarter of you from what I saw are at churches like about my size small ish you know small smaller and smaller um and so uh let's just talk for a minute before we uh, i ask these guys to prepare a few thoughts but like what you just shout at me like what are some of when it comes to worship all right not other things about church you know so let's not talk about activities and children's ministry and things like that. I mean, unless it relates to worship. But relate, regarding worship, what are the kind of struggles or frustrations or challenges that you face, regardless of the size of your job? Yeah? Being under-resourced with talent, I guess. Under-resourced with talent, okay. Can I get a witness? All right, yeah, what else? Old equipment. Old equipment. What else? Yeah, thank you. Um, having to build a consistent team with inconsistent members. Ah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, continuity and consistency with your team. And, and, and kind of in passing referred to this during Brent's talk when I chimed in and said about people only coming to church once a month. I mean, people consider themselves regular church attenders in 2017 who come to church once a month. You know, And so... We might not, as leaders and pastors, want to think of that as regular church attendance, but in their minds, they're, yeah, that's, I go to church, yeah, I go to that church, that's my church, if I show up 12, 14, 15 times a year, right? And that's a struggle. What else? Mediocrity. Mediocrity. I assume in, like, multiple areas. Well, I mean, Musicianship, or? Well, no, just, like, the people, and I said this in our last one, like, our people just expect mediocrity, or they're just complacent with it. Hmm. Yeah. Complacency. Complacency. Hmm. Hmm. Nobody has budget issues. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think I have, I'm looking at. I'll just show you. I'm looking at my 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 keynote slides for a uh, for a presentation that I do on ma- maximizing the strengths of small churches, just to remind myself of a few things I want to say. So we're not, that's not the topic of this, but that's kind of what I'm representing. And so my top three predictions here, if you can see them, are insufficient volunteer, a talent pool, uh, inadequate technology and or space, and limited budget. <laughs> but, those, but those are true in larger churches too at times. I mean, you probably have a deeper talent pool than I do in my church, but... You still have to work within a budget. You still have space yeah. issues, mm-hmm. right, Rick? Yeah. yeah. Well, I was curious, too, what Dr. Mendorf said today, too. How many of your churches are suffering from an overabundance of nostalgia? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Any other, like, challenges that... Yeah, your worship team, when, when they're on stage, uh-huh. um, the 
their demeanor uh, and with like the Bryce Salad. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They don't have the, the passion, I guess, in the face that you'd like to have. So, like, stage presence. Yes. Yeah. yeah well, some of the, it's interesting because I'm like, you know, taking notes on a lot of this stuff really like translates well for all of us, mm-hmm. you know, because that is something, you know, stage presence matters no matter what size you are, <laughs> you know. I'm so glad <laughs> Jesus lifted me. Yeah, and a lot, and some of that takes training, you know, and it takes intentionality with leadership. Um, I, I love the budget thing. You know, people just assume that just because you're a large church means that you have an unlimited supply of resources. And it's, it's basically just you take the scale and you just make it a bigger scale. But it's the same kinds of realities. You know, it's like, okay, we have this much that came in and we've got these kinds of bills. And, you know, how do we make this work? So I, I know we'll get to this, but just... As a anybody follow the Enneagram, um, any Enneagrammers in the room? Okay. I just discovered it. Like, oh, I love yeah, it so much. Two months ago. Highly recommend. Okay, um, so I'm a nine. I'm a peacemaker, and so I love finding the common ground with people. And I just wanted to say, like, we have such a tendency in the Church of the Nazarene to separate based on size and to uh, stereotype based on size. And to make assumptions about each other based on size. And I, you know, we've all been to churches that are large, that are very unhealthy. And we've all been to churches that are small, that are very unhealthy. We've all been to churches that are large, that are extremely healthy and full of the presence of God. And we've been to churches that are small and super healthy and full of the presence of God. So I, I don't think that... You know, as part of this discussion, I think that we wanted to bring about was a breaking down of the barriers and the walls that we tend to set up, the hierarchies that we tend to set up in in distinguishing if you're a good pastor or not, Mm -hmm. or if you're part of a good church or not, just because of the people that are in the pews and the number of people are in the pews. Um, You know, we, I don't think. Jesus Christ judges our congregations based on how many people are there. Um, I want to believe that there's a lot more to it than that. And I think, I think uh, finding the common ground that we all have in this greater mission of Jesus Christ and in proclaiming his gospel, um, we all need to be able to be unified in that, no matter what size church we are, no matter how, how big or small we feel like we are on the totem pole. So... Yeah. We need to take that pull out. Yeah. There you go. And and comparison will only lead to yes. depression and anxiety and you know and I mean or it'll lead to pride and yes. arrogance. I mean if you live by comparison, Jesus. Yes. You know. Um, so for whatever it's worth, if I can kind of put on my priestly role as an elder in the church of Nazareth, let me you know free you and absolve you from <laughs> comparison and encourage you to go and compare no more <laughs> and 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 lean into what God wants to call you to do in a particular place and time um, so uh, we've talked a little bit about frustrations and weaknesses um, are there other ones that you that you guys have thought of I mean I, I kind of shared Mine, um, I, I'm I'm blown away sometimes um, that I mean I've been in my church for about two. That's probably helpful to know too. Rick's been in his church the longest. Yeah, yeah, that's and, great. Uh, and you've been in for church how long? About uh, five, four years. Five years. Five years. Yeah, five years. Five years. Uh, so I'm actually like I'm I'm both the the, the newest guy at my church and at the smallest church. That's interesting. Um, and so I've been there about two and a half years um, in my role, and like there's, and it's only a church of you know most weeks we're like between 100 and 120, and like there's still people I don't know who've never like come up and introduced themselves to me, and they're probably waiting for me to introduce myself to them or whatever. Mm. And so building community in that sense, you know, it's and we can kind of go, you know, oh, there's no way Andrew can know everybody in her church. You know, I can't know everybody at my church. I can if I want to, you know, if I take the effort. Um, and I can get 
you know, frustrated. They're like, how do these people, like, I meet them in worship every week. Why don't they come up and talk to me? Yeah. But, you know, I'm the leader. I have a kind of, there's a power dynamic there, right? And so maybe it's up to me to go uh, build bridges and say, hey, why don't you hang out in the hallway <laughs> yeah. during, the, during the music and then come in yeah. during the preaching? What's that all about? Yeah. Are you like the self-appointed security guard or do you just hate what we're doing? You know? Oh, man. And why? You know, such hard conversations. Rick, it looks like you got a bunch of notes, man. What do you want to say? Uh, I just prepared what you told yeah, us to prepare. So, so well, <laughs> you you had asked the like our favorite three things, and then you yeah. asked our three biggest challenges, and then you asked like essentials. So yeah. I, so let's we talk could about, take it wherever you let's want. Take, let's talk about. So we talked about frustrations, but I do want to talk about strengths, and so we'll share some of ours, and then maybe you guys can fill in the gaps that we haven't mentioned. So what are like our favorite things about? Our favorite things about, about our, our context of where we are. Yeah. Okay. Uh, your church and leading worship in the size context. That uh, I. Okay. I'll say probably having learned and am still learning to speak different musical languages over the years. Um, this has come a lot from uh, being a church that was a predominantly older piano organ driven church. You know, as as a worship leader coming in. Uh, and then trying to make that transition uh, to where we're actually trying to speak people's language musically because I do tend to think that music uh, is a language that we're talking more than anything else. And so um, fighting that battle of, you know, the nostalgia we talked about this morning can be a really tough thing when you're in the midst of that and when you're doing something as a music leader. Um, So for me, I think it's helped me grow as a leader as I've been there long term to kind of walk alongside the people in my church too it's it's helpful to make the hospital calls to the elderly people mm-hmm. and to be there for graduations and at births and mm-hmm. you know different things like that throughout and and mm-hmm. you start to become a part of them uh, and it kind of gives you permission to try some new things too. When you're when you've been there a very short time, it's hard to start making changes that the churches need. So, and Brandon can tell you because when he lived down the road from me, and we would hang out. He knew my frustrations of not being able to move quickly enough on on certain things. Or, um, but but one thing that you know, learning to try try to speak the language of the congregation I'm at. Um, I had to learn who the congregation was, and I'm still learning after 16 years of being there. So I kind of look at, like, when you're doing things in church, you've got to look at it more as slowly turning the ship rather than just like a fast U-turn whenever you're, you're doing things. Um, so that's, that's been one of my favorite things because it's helped me actually grow, I think, as a pastor. It's helped me grow as a musician. It's helped me grow, uh, I think, as a person. I, I grew up a pastor's kid, so anytime... You know, my dad changed churches. I changed churches too, and I never saw what it was like to go through a transition. So I've been with my people at my church through pastoral transition. I'm I'm like the I've been there longer than anybody on staff at this point. I guess uh, nobody else wants me, and they can't get rid of me or something. So um, I've just stayed. But 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 that's been a really helpful thing to me. So so music wise, um, I've had to learn who my people are, and that's become. That's been a joy and a frustration, because sure. yeah. I don't want my people to love Southern Gospel, but some of them do, <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so I have to speak that Preach. language sometimes. Um, but it's also my job to teach them new languages as well, you know, and, and to teach them a new vocabulary. And uh, so when we can can get where we are all speaking those things together, the whole idea of unity, you know, the thing that's on. The, the cover of the, the booklet that we all have and it's been on the you know one body one faith uh, one spirit um, that's that's part of this all coming together and so yeah so that's one of my one of my joys that has been frustrating at time but also has been a joy in, in ministry and I think just the patient leaven of waiting to do those things has been very important in, mm. in the process. But, yeah, you got yeah I mean, I can definitely relate to that. Um, you know, being a little bit—I mean, not 16 years relate, yeah. but but five years. Um, the church, you know, that we're at now is a different church than it was five years ago. Yeah. But it took those really small, gradual mm-hmm. steps, and we're still taking those small, gradual. And there's times where I just want to like take my people and shake them and say change now you know <laughs> yeah. stop thinking like this um but uh, 
yeah, it's finding that kind of that patience mm-hmm. and uh, that perseverance mm-hmm. in Christ. That is a, definitely a challenge. Um, I think if we're talking about both strengths and challenges, or joys and, or challenges. Joys and challenges, yeah, yeah. Um, a joy for me in my context is um, the stance that we've taken with issues of social justice um, and um, diversity. Uh, I've, I'm privileged to have a, a senior pastor who, who uh, has been really influenced by some of these things, and so we've really let it impact our church and what we do through um, how we're communicating our participation in missions around the world, through how we're engaging with issues of like the refugee crisis, Mm. opening our arms to a group of people that had no home at first, came to the United States, and now has no church. And um, Mm. uh, seeing things, like, you know, my husband actually is the the pastor of the um, homeless congregation, and so I'm there every week as well with, you know, we helped create a kids program as part of that. And seeing the gospel at work in the systems of brokenness in our world. Um, I, you know, I'm a huge proponent of the depravity and the systems of brokenness and um, issues of justice that are happening around us needs to be impacting how we worship together. Um, I think it brings our gospel to life, in fact, because Jesus was constantly around it. I mean, he had the the prostitute come to him and disrupt everything. And what does, you know, how often in our services are we allowing those kinds of things to disrupt us in our services? Um, so that's a huge joy for me. I love that. I love that we're intentional with issues of race in our church right now. We're... Um, a couple blocks from a bunch of different government housing um, neighborhoods. And so, you know, we went door to door, uh, reaching out to kids just a couple weeks ago for bringing them into our VBS program and then kind of just working with their context um, and the needs that they have. Um, so, so that's a joy. I think um, a flip side, a weakness or a challenge then is... Um, uh, some of the more, uh, the, I don't know, I, I, this is a bad word to use, I know it is, but traditional mindsets of what church is, this, this safety that we know um, of what Christians look like and, uh, and who is safe to be around. Um, you know, you, you get into a room of 150 homeless people and it doesn't feel the same. Um, and so, so I think a challenge... And also, and I, I don't want to get myself in trouble here, but there was a lot of people that really struggled with a young woman becoming their worship pastor. Um, a lot of people. And my pastor took a big hit uh, for hiring me into that role. At first I was interim. You know how they can kind of squeeze in a little bit more with that? Like, oh, well, yeah, it will easier in. And then they'll, you know, they'll have to accept her, um, you know. And so some of the some of those those um, challenges of, you know, there's some things that you just can't control as a leader, um, uh, you know, of how people is how someone is going to perceive you and whether or not they're going to decide that they uh, can trust you or if uh, you're capable or whatever it is. Um, so I, I also am a big proponent for women in ministry and clergy women across the Church of Nazarene. Thank you for being uh, who you are for our churches. Yeah. So I don't want to turn this all into a, a seminar about diversity in worship, but Andrew and I talked about this quite a bit in preparation. And, and I do want to say I think that ev- not, not every church can be diverse. Like, yeah. The church is diverse, right? And so whatever size church you're at, like, there is diversity. There's age diversity. Mm-hmm. There's socioeconomic diversity, educational diversity, there's gender diversity. Um, and, and I think um, 
being mindful of that uh, and how that impacts what we do in worship is really critical because um, it's important that people uh, be given a voice, that they, be, that they see that they're represented. And so, like, for instance, in my church, we're, we're, we're less, and like Rick was saying, it's, it's something that we really are talking about and trying to address and work on. And we're not where we need to be by any means. We're less diverse than our community is, right? And if that's true of your church, then you, know, you may want to ask why that is, right? Because um, it's the human tendency. It's part yes. of our carnal nature, right? Mm-hmm. The human tendency to just kind of, for birds yeah. of a feather, to flock together. To, yeah. you know, uh, def- so we'll default slip into monocultural groups. Um, and so my congregation is probably only about 10% diverse, but it's there. But if, if that's not represented up front, then that's a problem. Right, because people are not seeing that they're given, mm-hmm. you know, or if like all our pastors are men, and we never call upon women to read scripture and pray or to lead worship or whatever, or even to preach, to fill in preaching from time to time, right? Then you know, I mean, I, I've known people who've been in Nazarene churches their whole lives who don't realize that we ordain women. We've always ordained women, <laughs> so, and and so yeah. racial. Gender, I mean, all, all these kinds of diversity is something that, and I think uh, particularly I would say to people who look like me in the room, that like we tend, especially male and especially white, like we tend to just go through life never even feeling the need to be aware of our maleness or our whiteness, right? And that's not the experience of most of the rest of the world, <laughs> um, where, you know, the fact that you're female is, like, always before you in a sense, right? Yeah. Or the fact that you have a different skin color is always before you and you are aware of that. And so it's, it's convicting to me to realize, like, I, I do have this, um, this blindness to those dynamics if I'm not careful. And so I need to pay attention. I need to watch. I need to listen. And then let it affect what I do. I just spent some time with a good uh, gal who's become a good friend. Um, at the conference I was at this earlier this week in Kansas City, she leads worship at a church called Bridgeway in Maryland. Her name's Nikki Lerner, and she and they have fifty-two nationalities represented in this church. <laughs> now, it was oh founded twenty-five years ago by an African American pastor who was married to a Korean woman, and it was very much like we are going to be a multicultural church. Awesome. And uh, yeah, and just amazing to hear her talk about that. But like for them, she's like. If, if every, every service, our goal, we, she said, in our church, we talk about we sing one another's songs. Mm-hmm. And so we'll do, we might do a strummy white boy Chris Tomlin song and then do like a black gospel tune. And then we might do a hymn in Korean. And we might sing a song where we do like a mashup of Spanish and English. And the praise team and the musicians on stage are going to represent the nationalities of the church. And she says, if, if I have like... It just kind of, for whatever random reason, she said, if I have, like, all African-American singers up there, like, they might kill it, and it'd be amazing. But that's not excellence for us. And I'll get a text message from my pastor, like, before the day is over, going, what was up with the all African-American worship team this morning? Because that's not representation. So I know that may not, you, you may be thinking, like, well, we just don't, that doesn't apply to my context. But even if it's not racial diversity, again, there's still diversity. Yes. And there's still ways in which we can be mindful of how do we invite people it's kind of that you, you maybe you've hung around worship people enough you know you this uh, metaphor of like the family meal right and and, and, you, and even people who aren't family if you invite them over for family dinner it's like they may not like every dish but like is there something for everybody does everybody have a seat um, and are you asking like who's missing who's not represented you know uh, and not just in music, not just in the praise team or whatever, but like in leadership roles within the service, um, mm-hmm. are people being given a, a voice and, and, and represented? Yeah. Yeah. Can I kind of piggyback on that? With um, th- I think this is a pastoral thing. It's not. I mean, we're we're up here as music leading people, but um, since we've gotten talking about diversity and stuff, I want to say. Um, if you can, uh, go outside your church and meet people of other faiths, 
too. Mm. Uh, one thing that uh, we are notorious about in sort of our, our little middle-sized church, medium-sized church, whatever, you do kind of get used to the people who are there, and you get kind of used to thinking about one way. One of the best things I have done over the last year is develop a pretty close friendship with our local rabbi. And I want to talk about seeing things differently, you know, um, you know, the Jews having no concept of original sin whatsoever. They look at the Adam and Eve story completely different than we do. They're like, how do you get that? That's not original. You know, like they don't <laughs> like, what do you mean? Original sin? That makes no sense. No Jews believe that, you know, or, or just different stories and, and trying to get a different, you know, concept of, of your story. And so that being in mind has already made me think differently about what if a friend of mine were to come to church one Sunday that is from a different faith background? Mm-hmm. And what are they hearing us even proclaim? Because sometimes what we're proclaiming is not exactly right at times, too. And, or even if it's right, we're not maybe saying it in a way that makes would be, sense. yeah, makes sense to someone out of that context. And to give another way that. Um, I have some some good friends in town that I finally convinced to come to church with me, and and they're a black family, you know, a husband, wife, two kids, and they they are not Christians in any sense, stretch of the imagination. But I finally got them to come on a, on a Sunday to come visit, you know, and and I was just so thrilled. I can't wait, you know. Our church is is such a loving church, and I really think it is. Well, my pastor was gone that day, and we had a guest speaker, and it was just before the election was happening this year. And he made it clear, you know, he was talking in his message. He never said who we should vote for or anything. Mm. But in his talking, he kept talking about how we've got to get back to what this country was founded on. Mm. Now realize to a white congregation, that sounds completely different to someone who I brought whose grandma can tell you what slavery was like because she was one. Yeah. Okay? Mm. And when the preacher gets up and says, that's the way God wants it again in this country, what he heard was a completely different thing, and they've never come back again. And we had families leave the church that said, sorry, I can't stand the bigotry that was preached from your pulpit today. Mm-hmm. And uh, if it was just a, a room of white people, we would have heard that and gone, well, no, yeah, let's get back to something good, you know, or whatever. Back to the Bible. Yeah, back to the Bible, whatever, you know, things like that. So I think that's so important you know, no matter what context you are, um, but especially in, in churches where we develop home blindness, we're not even thinking about who may walk in the door that day and what our words may say. So I think it's helpful in sermon preparation. I think it's helpful in planning of the liturgy, even the songs that we use at times. Um, who we're expecting to be in our churches that day and how we talk about a certain subject, it's going to sound completely different in, in the ears of someone else, mm-hmm. I think. So anyway, just kind of piggybacking on what you were saying. And, and, I, and to piggyback on your piggyback. Yeah, all right. Um, you know, I think we get into a rut, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, that, that we think that we can only be diverse if we're in an obviously, like a big metropolitan area or something. Mm-hmm. But... You know, we talked about a little bit, diversity takes a lot of different forms from socioeconomic kinds of diversity to um, diversity of, you know, ethnic cultures, race. Um, and, And I think no matter what town, city, place we are in, there are people, and this is just the truth, there are people who are going to be marginalized in your place. There are people who are on the sidelines of society. Um, And are we, no matter what size town we are, are we being intentional with our eyes to see who those people are and reaching out to them? I mean, I I was blown away, and this is going to be a little bit of a difficult story to tell, but I grew up in Plant City, Florida, which is kind of more of a small town. Um, and even though it's kind of around other more larger metropolitan areas, and, but it has that kind of small town feel. And I kind of grew up in this, this kind of mindset of, oh, well, all people are kind of, you know, just they have good, good life like I do. They have wonderful, loving parents. And, and I, uh, along the way, you kind of start to maybe get a glimpse of like, oh, maybe that, that person I'm in school with doesn't have it so good. But, you know, you just kind of move on. I went back through to Plant City and drove through the city with my husband, who is uh, part Puerto Rican. And uh, 
we drove past a bunch of um, really badly managed and upkept, almost shanties. And he looked at those and he said, Andrea, what are those? And I was like, I don't know. I've never seen them before. And I was rocked to my core because I lived in this town for how many years? And I never noticed that there was a complete diff- there was a group of people in our town who had a completely different reality and social system that was working for or against them. And and I can go into a whole lot of you know questions that I have you know now about how are people in that area of our country treating our Hispanic population especially Hispanic immigrants that they import in to do the, the picking of our, uh, our produce on our farms and how are they treated and uh, what does the church need to speak into and say about that. So I, you know, this, this is so important. This is every one of us in our different contexts needs to be looking at our communities and saying, you know, who, who is that family that's been ostracized? You know, no matter what what color or ethnic group they are, no matter even we we all we like to to see things like the refugees and and make that a big a big deal, or we we jump on these these fads of social justice, but but God sees it all, and so how can we be in tune with what God is seeing? That maybe isn't a fad yet, but it's important, and we need to be speaking up as the Church of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And then how worship drives us. To, yeah. I mean, worship should form us in a way that, that I don't know, expands our vision yeah. and our imagination for these things. I mean, I've, I've had a similar experience just since we moved to a new town. Um, of Our town has a, a, I mean, it's literally, they call it the bypass that goes, you know, around so that you don't have to drive through, like, the poor part of town, you know. And, and I can, from the university where I teach to my house, which is an old neighborhood, an older kind of patchy neighborhood where we live, I can take the bypass and I can drive past all the businesses and stuff, or I can take Washington and Nebraska Street and I'll drive past these houses and I've started to be more intentional about trying to pay attention. And I drive past a house that I that like is so run down I'm like there's no way anybody could live there. And I'll drive past it another day and I'll see like kids playing on the front porch. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. You know? Yeah. Uh, what is our church doing? You know, yeah. if those people showed up at our church would we know what to do with how can we reach them? And our elderly. I mean, yeah, how how many deal. of our elderly are neglected as well? I mean, I just don't. I could go on and on. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I do. I agree with Andrea. Those are universal things. In every community, there are people who are being forgotten, uh, and, and often even within our church, we can we can neglect or be blind to people who are uh, there and who are being un, uh, underrepresented or not uncared for. Uh, don't have a voice um and if our worship is going to drive us toward mission if it is going to be the source of our you know if we're worshiping christ and he's the source of our unity and this is the thing that, that brings us together um and i don't think that's size specific um great did you have something else to move us on we oh, have, um, I've got plenty, but you got, yeah. <laughs> uh, what time are we what, done? We've got about we got if we're really if we're really on time, we've got about eleven or twelve minutes, and so I I would like to make space yeah. to like open it up to what are some of the, I mean we've talked about some things that are clearly passions of ours, but I I don't want you to come to this session and be like you know I want to know about what do you do when you only have a keyboard player who can only play out of the hymnal. Like, yeah. like that, and that's your reason that you're here. And we're like, oh, well, let's talk about that for a minute, right? So whatever that might be, um, if you have a burning question that, if not one of the three of us, someone else in this room, I'm or maybe sure maybe a help burning you. answer that or will help us too. That will help us exactly. So we're only up here because like Rick and I helped organize this thing, and we were like, well, so. Um, I, I fully believe that we can learn from one another. So what kind of things are pressing on your ministry context that you're like, this is what I need help with. I just need somebody to point me in a direction. Yeah? I don't know if it's a direction, but um, I had mentioned in the other workshop a little bit that we're a military church. Yeah, And okay. we, we live here by Port Drum. 
in upstate New York. And so we have a very transient con congregation. So sometimes we're really big. Sometimes mm -hmm. we're up to 400 something. That's really big for us. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, sometimes we're 107. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is also apropos to raising leaders for the worship team. Yeah. So I guess, I, I don't know if it's a question so much as what do you do with that? Yeah. It can be very, you know, you, you get an idea and you get a plan and then, oh, that plan is gone because something else, you know, we've changed again. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, it's tough. Well, yeah. my first instinct that I yeah. would, that I would, my gut kind of says, say this uh, into that situation is I, I do think that this is where like having, uh, and I don't want to, I don't want to be misunderstood in what I mean by this, but a liturgical approach to worship, that doesn't mean like doing liturgy in a scripted way, but like thinking about what, what is our form that our worship takes and approaching it, because I don't, again, I don't want to be prescriptive about that in a way that's like, it has to be, you know, Book of Common Prayer. It has to be what, but having a mindset of like, what is, what is the essential kind of, what are the essential elements and what order do they come in? And, and I think when you nail that down for a context or, or for yourself, like this is by my conviction that we, you know, we gather, we welcome, we pray, we, you know, we proclaim the word through singing, we proclaim the word through sermon and scripture we you know we respond to the word we whatever that looks like right and you and that and it can apply no matter what size congregation you have no matter whether you have you know a full band or whether you just have somebody with a guitar or a keyboard and so having that kind of nailed down that can be that template that form um, so do you think it's okay for, for a worship team to form, you know, being a worship director and worship leader, mm -hmm. um, the expectation for core people, the board, core people, it, we're a contemporary service and they want it very contemporary, mm -hmm. very driving, very rocky, which we do, um, but we can't always do that yeah. because we have kind of a transient team. Yeah. And so like you said, sometimes we just have a guitar. Yeah. Sometimes we just, so I guess I'm asking, and this is what I'm doing, is, is it okay to change it up, like, do uh, is the oh, yeah. expectation more on what God expects of us as a worship team, or do we co-partner with the expectation of those core people who say, "Make it happen"? Yeah. Do you want to speak to that? Go. Yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of ways to to tank to you know, handle that piece, but I think one of the things that we have all found in ministry and the aspect of ministry is you're going to get a congregation, no matter where you go, that, that likes a specific style, style of flavor. And depending on what you're doing as the worship director and how you're called, um, you're not going to always be able to meet those needs. Right. I'm in a church right now that is primarily 99.9% Southern Gospel. Well, guess what? I'm not gay there. And so I will, I will give you that, and I'll I will for you. I'll bring a Southern Gospel style flair, but but I'm also going to throw in some George Williamson. I'll throw in some BBCC wine and, and adjust it culturalistically to help move that congregation on, impacting them in a way where they would have never even thought. I think sometimes our churches get so caught up, even millennials. Young generation, they get very caught up in the idealistic understanding of thinking inside the box. They only think, well, all young people, they want this, this lighting show, they want the music, when in reality, I have all my college and career, I have a college and career group in our church of 45, and they all love Southern Gospel. They hate contemporary music. So the idea of that is moving forward, understanding, number one, who your church is, number two, their likes and their dislikes, and number three, what your team can handle, and then go from there. My, my college students are, uh, now again, they could roll out of bed and walk across the quad to College Wesleyan Church and have the the big band and kind of the more, College Wesleyan is pretty middle of the road, really, but they could have the big church experience and to some extent kind of the, you know, the big video screens and the sound and lighting show. And the, the kids that come to my church, college students, um, you know, they're like, yeah, we're not really, you know, we're not impressed with that. And they like the hymns, and they like it being a little more simple and stripped down. And they like the fact that it's really generationally diverse. And they like the fact that if they don't show up, like, 
they're missed, you know, like the ones that play on my worship team. Like, they, man, they come every, they come every week because, uh, you know, they 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 know they're crucial to the team, and they and they know that I'm going to pour into them and mentor them and give them chances to lead. And and so one of the things that I always try to encourage, and since the majority of us in the room actually, you know, more than half of you are are in smallish sized churches, one of the things that I always encourage small churches to recognize is that you, you may be the ideal context to embrace the task of helping prepare people for ministry in other places. Um, because it's hard at larger churches that expect a certain standard of quality to take the, the young person who's not very experienced yet and kind of push them out front and say, hey, you, you sing this one. Or actually, hey, I'm going to be gone in a couple weeks. Can you? I'll help you plan the service, but can you lead it? You know, and my church will, you know, they'll eat that up. Man, Isaiah did so good. You know, was he as good as Brandon? Probably not. But, you know, maybe, <laughs> but he will be if I keep giving him those chances. And, and, they, and they're just like supportive and they're going to encourage him and tell him how much they love it. So, you know, people who are called to ministry late in life, young people, children, being a, a lab, so to speak, for, uh, for training um, is just really crucial. I- Sorry, I, I was just going to say, I, I probably bristle a little bit against the idea, too, of a mandated style, um, mm-hmm. almost because of, like, what does that mean? Because if you say, well, make it real modern, one of my favorite modern worship bands is Brothers McClurg, who sound com- like they almost Like what a, we did this morning. Like what, they almost sound like what we did this morning, right? It's almost an older style, but that's new stuff like that they're doing, you know, and it makes it sound like something fresh you've never heard before. So I almost want to say more than like a church that maybe would might want to move away from the mindset of mandating a style so much and allow the leader. Are you the, the leader of the, yeah, the group? Yeah, I do think our church is doing that. I think I'm looking, sometimes we need confirmation from others. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, since I'm the only, you know, I'm and, in charge of it. So uh, that's what we're doing. And they seem yeah. to be accepting it just fine. I mean, there's yeah. nothing else I can do sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think allowing yourself, you know, God made you yourself to be a particular style of leader too. And you might find something that's a little different than that, but it's going to feel very natural the way you do it. Like it would be, yeah. you know, my mom has led music for for years and she's in her 60s now her idea of modern and contemporary is not my idea of modern and contemporary but it's just a matter of you know but if but if she does something that's natural to her in the way that she leads it's very effective and it's not it it's it transcends generations i think because we're being authentic to who we are and so like like my God didn't create me to be the type of leader you are necessarily. He created you for something different and maybe something not better or worse. It's just different and it and it just shows that kaleidoscope of colors that God creates in our in our leadership and the way he makes us. So and, and all those terms are I mean they're marketing yeah. terms that are driven by you know what I mean? They're commercial terms that so we have to be careful about that. A, a quick conviction that I like to share anytime I can give be in front of worship leaders is you know this sense that like and it's a, it's a com- it's complex but like we have to our personality as the leader and the person choosing the music is part of the equation but like we have to do this hard work week in and week out of trying to you know hit the right hit hit the mark of crafting worship that both reflects who we are you know it's not disingenuous to who we are because nobody's attracted to that. Um, but that also is, is not merely reflective of who we are, but is also reflective of who we feel God is calling us to become because yes. we're being formed through our worship. And, and so it shouldn't just reinforce like who we are and we just stay who we are, right? So if we're – no, no young person wants to walk into a, a primarily 60 and older congregation and, and see these people struggling to sing modern worship songs. That's not authentic. A young person would be more attracted to older people singing traditional songs with gusto and passion. You know what I mean? And like these people just sing their faces off. I don't know why. They love that Jesus for some reason, whatever. And that, that's attractive, right? Inherently attractive. But, but, but I, would, I would hope that a young person would also see like some gesture in the liturgy, in the service, even if it's not the song's choices, right? That is like we're, we're trying to reach people that 
that aren't just like us, too. So it's both reflective of who we are, but it's also reflective of who we feel like God's calling us to become, including who God is calling us to reach within our community, within our surroundings. Yeah, yeah. Any other... Oh, yeah, go ahead. It's Corey, right? Yeah, Corey. Corey. I'm not a worship leader. I have zero musical talent, but um, <laughs> that's why you married her. She's got 200% of your musical talent. How do, um, how do worship leaders uh, shift and change the language that their congregation uses in order for them to better engage in the gospel and their local context? Hmm. Um, how, do you, how do you begin to take a language that a people group uses and shift it so that they begin to open their eyes hmm. to what's around them? Yeah, so I see that in two different... I mean, I, I think I know what you're going for. Um, I think there is a serious um, theological problem that we have in our denomination right now about what worship is. Um, you know, it's so many of us, even even the people that are living in this every day, I do this and I have to, I have to stop myself. But I immediately equate and use language that says, I say worship, and I mean songs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that has just a lot of connotations for what we believe about our services mm-hmm. that I think are not helpful. Uh, and it also has a lot of connotations about what our life is in God and how we're living it out as a community of faith. Because worship, if you, you know, from cover to cover of the Bible... Worship. They don't. They don't say worship in the context of singing. They talk about worship as a lifestyle. They talk about worship as an obedient living out of God's spirit in a, in a community and in an individual. So, um, I I know for for whenever um, I'm planning services or working with our worship teams, I'm constantly using language like, and then when we do. Uh, our worship through song, or we're gonna then we'll have our uh, worship um, through preaching, or you know, and kind of just making that caveat and, and basically placing um, importance in these other as- aspects of the service that are also just as important and worshipful to our obedient response to God. Because worship is, and it's, I mean, ba- most basic core. Our response to God's revelation. Mm-hmm. And when we make it anything other than that, I think we get ourselves into a lot of trouble. Because, uh, you know, there's just a lot of places we can go with that. And we, we make worship about ourselves. Um, you know, we're initiating our, our glorification of, to God. Uh, we can easily get into that. And no, no, God, God was here. He was already here a long time ago, and he's been calling and working and, you know, his provenient grace going before us to bring us into a new place with him. Um, everything begins with God, and then how do we respond to that? Every single Old Testament story is God's people responding, you know, whether it's in a, a worshipful way um, or it's in a, um, you know, another kind of way. So... Uh, I think that's kind of the direction you're going. I mean, if you're also going for the, the, that whole direction of how do we allow people to start creating for themselves more of a vision for what God sees in brokenness in the world, in our, in our communities, I know that um, there are so many things that we can do as leaders intentionally to develop that muscle, so to speak, just by when we have our prayer moments in our services, mentioning things like, hey, you know, there's like hundreds of thousands of people that are being displaced because of war and famine right now in, uh, you know, in the Middle East, in Africa. Let's pray right now for those people. Um, Or it's things like, uh, you know, in, in the offering time, uh, this also remind our people to be faithful in our giving this morning to uh, our commitment to our World Mission Evangelism Fund or our, our faith prompts, however you guys organize yourselves with that. Um, because so-and-so over here um, is impacted by that money that we're able to give. 
And so we're just we're creating in our people basically a culture of this is normal um, in our services themselves. And of course, my, you know, if you're a pastor, if you're a preacher, um, you can do that all day long with your sermons through the stories that you, cho- you choose to share. Um, you know, if, if there's somebody that you met that day on the street and you just talk about them and you say, hey, and uh, my friend April who came into the office today and she is a drug addict and, um, you know, what does it look like to love somebody who uh, doesn't love themselves? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and just I, I think there's ways that we that we could just be better at being intentional without like shoving it down people's throats, so to speak. Yeah. If that makes sense. Intentionality. Yeah. Yeah. Rick. Parting um, thoughts. Yeah, parting thoughts. Yeah. Um, I guess if I could instill or, or beg anything of our pastors, um, if we could learn to do. Um, learn to have a regular practice of prayer in our life. Um, we need to seek and love God and know God more than our theology and our favorite theology books, which are wonderful. And they do help us to know God. But we need to know and love God more than our favorite songs. And we need to know and love God um, above all else. And for me over the last couple of years... Um, not just saying I'm going to pray, but creating space in life to do a regular practice of prayer, a regular rite of prayer. Um, my day, it doesn't have to be at the beginning of the day for you, but my day begins now every morning um, with scripted prayer that I've been saying the exact same prayers for <laughs> almost two years now, every single morning. But they guide me and they lead me. And I've found that in my life, it doesn't actually keep me from a spiritual experience. It actually opens me up to them because I have consistently been practicing them. It has made so much difference in the way that I lead my team and the way that I lead, I think, out of those things. It's made a difference in my personal life, um, around hospital beds. It's made a difference in... um, in the middle of services when I have prayers to pray that I have committed to memory that begin to flow out of me. And it's because I've taken intentional time and begun that. I think it's made a real difference in my ministry. And seeking God through those prayer times, if we do nothing else, of all we've emphasized today, um, please develop a lifestyle of prayer in your life that you protect and guard like any other habit you do. I think that needs to be the priority. Well, we need to be in there in just a couple minutes. So let me pray for you all, and then we will migrate over there as we wrap up with the final panel. Father, we love you, and we thank you for this time together. I thank you for my friends in this room, and for uh, Andrea and Rick and their uh, partnership in uh, this conversation for their churches and for each church represented here. Uh, I pray that you would uh, use this time to... Uh, inspire thoughts for your Holy Spirit to allow uh, things to take root in us um, that can enhance and um, and further the ministry that you want us to do, that you call us to do in our respective places, uh, that you'd help us to remember what you want us to remember and forget what you want us to forget, and that uh, each one would be uh, encouraged and inspired uh, in the work that you've called us to do. Help us to embrace uh, whatever our role is, the, uh, the heart of a worshiper that longs after you, and I pray that you would bless the efforts of my friends who take the time to be a part of this and part of General Assembly, and that you'd uh, multiply the investment that they've made by being here uh, in fruit within their ministries. We promise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For you, the listeners of Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Personally, I recommend The Hobbit Unabridged by J.R.R. Tolkien. Hours of fun listening to this great classic. And there are over 180,000 titles for you to choose from and to listen to on your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. 
All you have to do is go to audibletrial.com slash voices in my head. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash voices in my head for your free audiobook. You're going to be glad you did. Thank you for listening to Voices in My Head and keep on listening. Thank you for joining me here this week on the Voices in My Head podcast. I hope you'll visit me on my website at rickleyjames.com, follow me on Twitter at rickleyjames, like my artist page on Facebook at facebook.com slash rickleyjames, and keep up to date on what I'm writing at my author page on amazon.com. Make sure to follow my calendar on the website, and if you would like to have me come to your town to do a concert, a speaking engagement, or a book event, you can book me through my website by clicking on the link for Pair Booking Agency. That's P-A-R-E Booking. And finally, it would mean the world to me if you were to leave me a review of this podcast on iTunes. The more positive reviews that we receive, the more visible this podcast is on the internet. And now the benediction. May the God of peace, who raised Christ from the dead, strengthen your inner being for every good work. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest upon you and dwell within you this day and forevermore. Amen.